What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you for tuning in. As always, if you're new to the show and you're trying to hear our interview with Death by Romy, you can fast forward a bit until you hear a beat, and that's how you know that the podcast is going to start. If you're a returning guest, welcome to my little catch-up with you guys about Death by Romy. Really cool conversation with her, and interesting perspective and unique perspective for our show because if you're a longtime listener, you know that we mostly talk to independent artists. We mostly talk to artists that a lot of them are part of a scene or they come up around a lot of other independent artists as well and learn learn from each other and hone their crafts together. And Romy is really unique in that she got scouted by the majors and there was a bidding war, you know, damn near by the time she was 18. So here she is only a couple years later, navigating that world of the major label industry that I was never close to and that I wouldn't have been prepared to ever navigate at her age. And she's doing a good job of it. And it looks like the trajectory is going to take her pretty freaking far. So excited to get into that. First and foremost, though, these quarantine doldrums are still around. The boredom is overtaking everyone. The Rona is still ruling our lives. I see some of you guys out there wilding on Instagram. I hope that you keep your fucking masks on. We're not even in a second wave. We're still in the fucking first wave. You know, the, the first one never really went away. Even a couple months ago, I was talking about how I would go out to the park, the big ass field that I take my dog to and wouldn't be wearing a mask because I felt safe social distancing. Nope, I'm wearing a mask at all times now. If I'm not in the house, wearing a mask. And I hope you guys are too, because I would like to leave the house again in the future. It is wild how terrible America is doing at this compared to the rest of the world. It is wild. Wear a fucking mask. That said, I'm bringing that up because I never have shit to talk about in the intros anymore because I don't get to live any goddamn life. It's pretty much between my house and then to the studio to do these and the taking my dog outside. That's it. I haven't traveled at all this year. I haven't experienced anything this year. It's just me and my wife competing for TV time and video game time because now she's a gamer because, you know, she started even playing first-person shooters and shit. Like, she's really getting serious about this. But I I tease her because I I say, like, watching her play a video game is like listening to a five-year-old that's just learning to read, try to get through, like... A sentence, you know, like she goes very slow and very calculated and doesn't just charge through shit. So anyway, in talking about the Rona boredness, I've just compiled a list of stuff that I've been doing to entertain myself or mainly entertainment that I've been enjoying to keep myself from going nuts while we're sitting in the house all day. Right. So I'm just going to start with my list of TV shows. I compiled 10 TV shows. These are TV shows that I have either binged or just watched consistently or just loved during the during the pandemic. And so the first one is a couple years old. I think maybe a year and a half old probably. And the second season is coming through. But if you've never watched Pen15 on Hulu, go watch it right now. It is uh, two adult women comedians are making like a period piece show about the early 2000s when they were in junior high. It's very whimsical. They... Uh, dress themselves as 
junior high characters and all the other actors besides them are like actual junior high kids is the funniest fucking show that I've probably seen in a couple years other than the next show I'm going to mention, which is Detroiters. And Detroiters is a Comedy Central show that only got two seasons, which is a travesty because it is so fucking funny. It's Sam Richardson. You might recognize him from Veep. And Tim Robinson, who also has a Netflix show called I Think You Should Leave Right Now or something like that, which is also hilarious. But Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson playing like marketers in Detroit. Funniest TV show. Literally, you can plow through it in like two days if you wanted to, and you will not regret it. You'll be so pissed off that there wasn't a season three. It's just like I can't speak highly enough about it. Everybody that I've told about it has been like thank you for telling me about that so watch Detroiters if you haven't on Comedy Central another one that I've been watching on Hulu lately is What We Do in the Shadows which is a TV show based off the movie that the Flight of the Concords dudes did it's about vampires and it's kind of like I would say it's like The Office but with vampires hilarious we just got into it a little while ago maybe maybe a week and a half ago and we're already like halfway through the second season there are two seasons more to come I'm sure Wonderful show on Hulu, funnier than fuck. One that I just watched literally two days ago, and I started, I turned it on on a whim at like 6.30 right when I woke up, and then was done with it by 1 o'clock. I just sat on the fucking couch all morning and plowed through the whole show. It is called Love on the Spectrum, and you know, my nephew, who I've talked about a million times on this show, is living with autism, and so... Any movie or TV show or anything that deals with living on the spectrum, I always watch it. And this is like one of the sweetest, purest shows I've ever seen. It's just about people that are that have a high functioning autism trying to find dates and trying to understand being in relationships. And it's just beautiful, really well done. I've also been watching I May Destroy You on HBO, a Michaela Cole show. It's like trigger warning shit. It's dealing with her trying to unpack a sexual assault, and it is so good. She is amazing. Just give her all the TV shows. She's so good. This is uh, my junk TV show that I've been watching for the last, fuck, I don't know. There's like been 30 seasons or something, so I probably, I've been watching it. I've only missed a few seasons, and it's it's an MTV show. And my wife finally got into it this year after making fun of me for watching it since we've been together. One of our friends comes over and watches it with us every week because it's it's like our version of The Bachelor. But anyway, it's MTV's The Challenge. Started off as Road Rules versus Real World Challenge probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's still going on. You know what? Shout out. I don't want actually I'm not going to tell you who won this season. If you go watch some trash TV, go see who won. The challenge this season, it was a it was a real, it was down to the wire, you know, and a famous veteran came through in the clutch. I love the challenge. It is my guilty pleasure TV show. On Netflix, you know I got to watch every season of the Fab Five, and I just plowed that latest season of Queer Eye. Love that show. You know, as we watch that show, it's one of these ones where my wife will sit on the couch and go, I love these guys. Because, like, how can you not? It's so sweet. They help people. On Hulu, Rami. If you haven't seen Rami, both seasons are great. Season two, phenomenal, though. Season two is really great. And it just came out maybe a month ago, a month or two ago. Really worth checking out. 
And then my weeklies that I always watch, these guys are like my favorites for years now. I listen to their podcast. I listen to, or I watch their TV show. I've watched all of their TV shows, whether it was on Complex or Vice, or now it's on Showtime. Jesus and Miro. Jesus and Miro are what every late night show should aspire to. I wish that they were just like on NBC and we're getting every night show like like Kimmel or Colbert or whatever. I'm bummed that I only get to see them do it twice a week. I thought I know that they were overworked and underpaid at Vice, but their Vice show was like I never missed a single fucking episode. I watched it every night that it was on. If I missed it, I would watch it later. I love Deez Zamir. Those guys are fucking hilarious. Get into them if you're not. And then finally, you know, to kind of catch up on my politics every week, I watched the John Oliver show on HBO. All of those TV shows have been keeping me sane. Movies, like I said, have been a rough year. I haven't watched that many actual movies, but some that I could think of off the top of my head, because I, I just like watched them in the last few days. That Palm Springs movie on Hulu with uh, Andy Samberg in a, stuck in a time loop. Hilarious. I loved it. I love a good rom-com. Can't go wrong with a good rom-com, and this was a good rom-com. It's basically just Groundhog's Day, but with uh, you know some millennial humor, and, and that's it. I recently watched a couple horror movies that I thought were great. Relic was one that was really fucking heavy. It has, I mean, without saying too much, it's about Alzheimer's, you know? And so it hit home for me, obviously. And so, yeah, really dark and heavy, but an interesting an interesting and visually beautiful movie. Another one that I watched that was, like, shocking, that really stuck with me. It stuck to the ribs. It's called The Lodge. It was... Man, pretty twisted. Alicia Silverstone's in it very briefly in a really graphic scene. And yeah, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's just about some little kids that do some fuck shit. And it's it's pretty wild. Okay. Music. I've been into a lot of rap music this year. Obviously, I'm a heavy rap listener, clearly. And so first and foremost, I mean, a bunch of guests have talked with me about it this year, but... Uh, Everything that West Side Gun is putting out, just amazing. And he has such an extensive catalog that if you're just learning about West Side Gun, I mean, just go back. You can't miss. You can just point a finger at a random project on his Spotify page and you're going to be listening to some fire. But this year he put out Pray for Paris and he put out Fly God and is, is an awesome God too. Both of them are wonderful. Some favorite standout songs, Jose Canseco off of uh, Fly God is an Awesome God, off Pray for Paris, the one with Freddie Gibbs and uh, Rock Marciano, I think. It is called $500 Ounces, produced by Alchemist. Oh, my God. Those two beats are fucking amazing. Uh, I've been listening to Weight of the World by Mike. I've been listening to um, that Freddie Gibbs again, Alfredo, produced by Alchemist, amazing. Another Alchemist-produced record, Boldy James, Price of Tea in China, fantastic. Some random songs I've been listening to, that that new um, Smino and Jid, produced by Kenny Beats, called Baghetti, amazing, so good. Two of the best rappers working uh, from from this generation uh, getting together, you just can't miss. I'm I hope that they put out a project together because they just styles upon styles upon styles. Those two, you just, they just can't miss. And then an artist that I just got put on to recently, who I'm who I just love. She doesn't have a lot out yet. She's really young, but her sound is just perfect. Baby Sosa. She has these two joints called Everywhere I Go and another one called Enemies, and uh, I just love them. I think she has a super bright future. I'm hoping to get her on the show. 
So yeah, those are all things that have been on heavy rotation lately. And then beyond that, I am writing still. So I've been listening to a lot of beats that Mark has been sending me or just driving myself crazy, like listening to beats on loop. And then as far as the last thing that I'll talk about is the video games that I've been playing because we've been doing more of that than watching TV, to be honest. I think I mentioned it on some previous intros, but I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2 pretty obsessively again. I picked up an old save that was at about 92% and then 100%ed it, which took way longer than it should have. It took like a month. And then uh, I played right through again after I was done because I went, oh, this... this um." would probably be fun if there was actually things to do and I wasn't just going around scavenging. So I played again and it only took a couple of weeks to get through the whole game after I decided to like just focus on the story. Yeah. So that was good. Resident Evil 2 remake. Really creepy. Really fantastic. Resident Evil 2 came out when I was like in high school, I think on PlayStation 1 and it was a real game changer and they remade it into just a third person over the shoulder shooter. Fantastic. Some great jump scares. Graphics are beautiful and updated. Just an eerie environment. Fun to play. Yeah. Jedi Fallen Order I played over the pandemic break. It was cool. I like a Star Wars game. Can't front. Like, I'll always play a Star Wars game. This one seemed like Star Wars meets Tomb Raider, kind of. The Laura Croft series. And it was cool. A woman that was in one of my music videos, shout out to the homie Elizabeth Grujan, she's the bad guy in the Jedi Fallen Order game, which just tripped me the fuck out. And so as soon as the bad guy takes the mask off, I went, wait, what the fuck? Why does she look so familiar? And I Googled it. I'm like, holy shit, it's Elizabeth. And so that made it all worth it. That said, the video game overall left me... Wanting a little more. I don't know why. It just seemed a bit sparse to me. But you can't front on a Star Wars game. They're always pretty fun. Outer Worlds is one that I just finished. And I played through it twice really quick because the first time I kind of got a mid-ending. Like, you can um, make some decisions that will give you a shittier ending. And I made a wrong decision. And I went, you know what? I'm going to go back and fix these decisions. So I played it through again real quick. And uh, it's good. It's a fun game. It's a first-person shooter. And it's just, it reminded me actually of another Star Wars game called Knights of the Old Republic which is like a super dorky RPG game for Xbox. The first Xbox, I think, is what it came out on. But it's one of the best video games. It's one of the best RPG games of all time. And so this was like a first-person version of that. It's like you're running around this little galaxy, you know, just having long conversations and making vague moral choices uh, all the time. And the choices that you make can change your ending. It was dope. It was fun. The one I'm playing right now, I just started a couple days ago. Not sure how into it I am, but it seems fun for the moment. It's sort of like Grand Theft Auto in that it's a sandbox game, but rather than stealing cars, you're stealing data, you're hacking stuff. It's about hacking, and you're in San Francisco instead of L.A. The map to San Francisco seems eerily accurate. I don't know, but it's called Watch Dogs 2. It came out a few years ago. I think they're making a new one soon where you can, like, play just about any character. Like, anybody that you see on the street, you can just recruit them to your crew. So you can, like, run around being, I don't know, a fucking 90-year-old woman or something if you want. And so, anyway, those are the video games that I'm playing. Yeah. Guys, I don't have shit to talk about other than other people's art that's keeping me busy because that's what I've been doing. So anyway, you got any good TV suggestions, you got any good movie suggestions, stuff that you actually think I haven't seen or stuff that you don't think enough people talk about, you know, 
DM me on the Instagram, hit me on the Twitters. Maybe I'll I'll give it a shout. So anyhow, without further ado, we're gonna get into this interview with a young woman by the name of Death by Romy. Fun conversation. She's um, really the complete package. She has a big booming voice. She has a an interesting aesthetic. I what I told her in the podcast is I think she has like a warehouse aesthetic and a stadium sound. You know what I mean? It's big pop music with the potential to be like a huge pop artist. So we'll see what happens. We're gonna watch along. And here we go. This is my conversation with Death by Romy. So you're born and raised in LA. Yes. Yeah. Born and raised. Do you have generations of family here, or, is it, or did your folks move here and meet each other? What? How did that happen? My maternal grandparents. Um, one came from Illinois. Okay. And my grandfather was actually raised here in Burbank, California. Yeah. So he's a Californian native, and um, they raised my mom in Simi Valley, which oh. you know is just about forty minutes away. Yeah. Um, so pretty close. I know my mom came down to like LA beaches and stuff during her summers growing up. And, um, my dad is another California native. His mother's family originally came from a small, 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 small town. Hopeville, I want to say. Hopeville, California. I don't know. Yeah. It's... But so everybody's South. Californian. Yes, everyone's Californian. Yeah, right. Everyone's Californian. And I actually have no idea the origin of my dad's dad. We don't really talk about him. Yeah. But for the most part, Same. California natives. Felt that? It's hard to... Uh, dads are closed off. And then when, when you get to dad's dads, they're really closed off. And so, like, I have no idea about my father's father whatsoever. And he died really young with, mm-hmm. when I was really young. And so it's like... Didn't know that, Grandpa? Not really. So what did your folks do... When you were growing up? My parents both kind of tried their hands in a million different occupations at different times in their lives. And right before they had me, they decided, okay, no more restaurant management, no more um, bullshit, like temporary jobs. We need to actually get something together so we can build build a better life for our children than we had. Right. And so... The idea kind of came to start catering. Mm-hmm. Started very small scale. My mom just making cakes and cupcakes. She eventually um, did personal chef work for Demi Moore, which was kind of oh, a cool, sick. interesting thing. Yeah. And from that stemmed her starting a catering business with my dad. And it was all word of mouth. They barely had a website. They didn't have business cards for years of running. And it became very successful. And I got to see a slow progression and incline in our uh, living circumstances. Yeah, they, wow. They made a lot for themselves. Yeah, they, yeah. they like— uh, Big hustlers. That's tight. Yeah. So it took you from like maybe lower middle class to upper middle class with catering? Yeah. My mom, dad, me, and Ella were all in a one bedroom for a small amount of time yeah. before they bought our first house now, in is, is Ella your sister? Ella is my younger sister. I did not know that. I wouldn't have put that together. Younger honestly. I'm, sister. I'm like, oh, this is just a friend that came and sat here. Okay, so we've got a full family in the house. Yes. Okay. She helps me a lot, too. Yeah, right. She's my personal photographer. That's dope. Um, therapist. Yeah. Little devil on my shoulder. <laughs> now, now, Ella, is this an intern position or does she pay you? Uh, this is fun. You better start paying your sister. No, I'm just kidding. 
She got a pretty nice birthday present from me when I signed. You bought a car? Did she get her car? No, I don't kidding. even have a car. Oh, why? <laughs> you guys don't do cars? I would have a car if I could afford it. Really? And I probably could have afforded it if I didn't spend thousands and thousands of dollars on food. I took myself to Paris for my birthday last year. Oh, And what month? I did not check uh, December. Oh, we were there in November. Wow. We probably just missed you. My wife and I went, on our, we went on our honeymoon there in November Aww. and left, like, uh, I think maybe the day after Thanksgiving. So we were probably getting there right as we were leaving. City of love. It was so dope. Like, and that's the best time of year to go, too, because it wasn't super hot. There wasn't a lot of tourists. I don't know. Have you been there a bunch? I have been to Paris twice now. Um, yeah. The first time I was only nine. And yeah. I don't remember much about it. I remember staying in our family friend's, like beautiful kind of townhouse i think you'd refer to it as sure it was pretty cold in december it was during the time there was a lot of riots and protests happening right which is kind of a year-round thing for france yeah love it yeah um it was very awesome traffic is the absolute worst in france though especially during the protests i suppose yeah. worse than anything i've ever seen were you taking ubers and shit there yeah we only use the subway system see i and it's so packed but can't we can't do that dude we were pros by the end of it we're just elbowing people fuck excuse me excuse me because like the first one that we tried to get on it was so packed that i tried to jam in there and my wife was like i'm not getting on that and it was like did you lose her no, I, I just <laughs> hopped off, but I was embarrassed. I was like, man, you got to just, like, get on that, Got to be aggressive. Yeah, that's it. You just got to be aggressive. By the end of the time, she's clotheslining people and, like, Damn. not giving a fuck. I live life with very little fears, but subways in places I don't know is just something I cannot do. How come? <sighs> Getting—that's the only time I feel I become— most aware of my surroundings and i know that is a great thing a mm -hmm. great attribute that most people should have and cling to but that almost doesn't exist whatsoever for me mm -hmm. and allows me to live um very freely um fear free and i think that's a great and beautiful thing to an extent but being on a subway in say new york or france two of the only other places i've tried to ride the subway it's just mexico oh I cannot do it. Not the subway, but public transport. You I just cannot do it. Social anxiety or something? Terrified. Or? Yeah. No, I'm terrified. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. I don't know where anything is in conjunction to something else. Right. It's a shit show. Social anxiety, fear. It's... It's, it's like everyone's staring at you. Right. Okay. I get it. It's terrifying. It's interesting because when I was younger, before smartphones really existed and I would travel to cities like New York and try to use a subway, I'm not a shy person. So I would, and I'm not really afraid to look like a kook either. So I would just be going up to people on the street and be like, hey, bro, I got to get here. So like, if I'm trying to get on the subway, which way should I go? And they would be nice enough to tell me just because like, fuck it. But now with smartphones. As they should. Yeah. Now with smartphones, it's mad easy. It's just mm -hmm. like, oh, hop on here, get off there, da, 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 da. And you got cell phone service the whole time. I'm not trying to convince you to start hopping on the train. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, I don't know how I got anywhere before smartphones because now I'm just always looking at my map. Like, eyes never on the road, always on the map, pretty much. It's terrible. Damn. Yeah. I I feel so <laughs> blessed to know my way around this city because I generally don't need navigation anywhere I'm going unless it's some right. specific little shop I've, like, never heard of. Totally. But, um, no, you definitely convinced me to try a little bit. I'm also so not tech savvy. I'm really, I'm so old inside. I'm that's like 76 inside. And which is something I, I wanted to get at, honestly, in listening to your music. Yeah. I know that you're only like 20 years old. Yeah. But in listening to your music, I went like, 
she really doesn't sound young. Like you have this big resonant voice of like an old soul. I picked up on that, that you seem to be like not really of this generation that you, that you uh, were born in. I really appreciate that. It it makes perfect sense. Okay. Especially, um, I'm not sure whether I know if I've been here before or not, but that's something that I've definitely always thought of and kind of fantasized about in terms of just, the way I was able to pull myself out of so many different things I went through and with very little support at times, for lack of better way to put it. And um, no, I definitely get that a lot. And I really, I really appreciate it. Well, in listening to music, I'm actually surprised that I was your sister because I was going like, she must be an only child who like grew up only around her parents and like didn't have friends her age or something is what I was thinking. I didn't have many friends. Okay. That's for sure. Why? Um... So, <laughs> I hate the term bullied. Yeah. Mostly because the more I think about it, the more I look back on when I felt very bullied, which was from probably from the ages of like 12 to 16, I definitely was just not afraid to be myself. And that is a great thing that I'm really, really glad no matter what happened that I didn't let go of. But because of that, I was definitely isolating myself at the same time from the from the need to fit in that most kids at that age have. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel I need to fit in as much as I wanted to have friends, as much as I wanted to feel the sense of belonging that we as humans so innately need and desire. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't fit in with kids my age and I didn't like the way they treated each other. I didn't like the way they treated me. And after getting picked on for a long time, I built up this kind of hatred for kids my age. I was like, they're all awful. They're all rude. They're all, all they think about is themselves. They're all willing to hurt each other. And I just, I can't relate with any of those morals. And it's definitely not the case for all teens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I realized that. But um, when I was about 15, I decided to drop out of Uh, high school. Mm -hmm. And I kind of only had one friend at the time. It was my first boyfriend, first person I made music with. And we had such a strong kind of emo view on the world that was kind of conjoined. It was kind of us versus the world at the time because neither he had his friends and his friends were kind of my friends, but I didn't really have my friends. It kind of took me fully coming into myself and um, my own balance of self-confidence and self-awareness before I found a great group of friends that I have now. So Mm -hmm. the fact that you can hear that in my music is very, very um, impressive. Wow. And kind of crazy crazy to think about. I've listened to a lot of music and I've talked to a lot of people and you start to pick up on themes in people and you know what I'm saying? Definitely, definitely. But yeah, and there's just, there is something that's uh, in your voice that kind of makes me think like, ah, maybe she's, maybe she has been here before. Maybe, (laughs) maybe this isn't the first go around. I don't know. Yeah, some old soul shit. I don't really know how to explain it, but you do sound, I don't know, wise beyond your years, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. Which I'm sure also as a young woman in the music industry can be a blessing and a curse because you probably attract unwanted attention from fucking creepy your old men or something definitely yeah definitely yeah i was actually just having a conversation with my manager jj on the way here yeah and i was telling her my previous manager would come with me to every single session partly because he was afraid that like he'd seen other female artists he'd worked with been taken advantage of or been made like these weird plays on and so he wanted to make sure anytime i was working with a new producer yeah i felt like comfortable 
and I, I think that's, protected. I which think is that's good. Super sweet. Yeah. Super cool. One of my first podcasts, radio shows, yeah. kind of like this, I was extremely nervous for, and I was just barely 18. Mm-hmm. And one of the like funny games they wanted to play that they thought was appropriate was F. Mary Kill. Right. And they took it that because I obviously, especially at that time, was like very goth looking right. or um, just alt. And they they decided to take it even further and make it like creepy men from movies, like serial killers, like rapists even. And I just flat out said, I was like, I don't feel comfortable playing this yeah, game. Yeah. And I'm like, do these people realize they're asking a barely 18-year-old girl to talk about this? Right. So weird. And they it, they were women, which right. is even weirder to me. It's like, you should know we don't really want to talk about this stuff on. Right. So by the time you're 12 years old, you already feel like this outcast of sorts, right? But what about before you were 12? Did you discover this like creative streak in yourself from a very young age? Were you an, were you someone that did a lot of like imagining and daydreaming as a kid and playing by yourself? Tons of imagining, tons of daydreaming. Yeah. Um, from a very early age, me and my sisters loved all of our games were fantasy based. How many sisters? I have two younger sisters. Okay. And all of you guys are what, like two years apart? I'm five years apart from the younger one. We're okay. two years apart. Okay. Just about. Yeah. So you guys had your own little like sister crew. Y- yeah, for them. I mean, there was many ups and downs, and the dynamic was um always shifting yeah. based on different things. Like, me and Ella being closer in age at one point, the youngest sister seemed very annoying, and me and Ella would rather play with each other. Right. But there was many, many times that we all played mermaids together in the pool. Okay. Or, and we we were such creative kids that w- before we even started playing the game, we would give the most descript, um, rules of the world. Descript vision of what we looked like oh, in this wow. world. Yeah, yeah, okay. From the color of our hair to our tails and. I think that innately comes from being very imaginative yeah. naturally, but also from having parents who are just extreme art appreciators. Right. Always art. Art was always in the house. And to get back to your question, actually, uh, I started writing when I was five. Really? Like yeah. little poems and stuff or stories songs. or what? songs? I started writing songs when I was five. Didn't really get into poetry until junior high school. Nice. And so were you singing these songs at five? Were you trying to record them? I was not trying to record them by any means, but I was but I learned proper song structure by the time I was seven or eight. I think I wrote my first song that had a bridge, chorus, what? verse. And um a family friend helped like play it on the piano and my mom actually has footage of the first of song. Of course. I was gonna say, song. like you're you're from this era where like probably your whole childhood is probably on tape, huh? Like phones Honestly, were around. Not that much. Really? A good amount. Yeah. But I also I also really appreciate that my parents weren't constantly shoving a camera in our face okay. or anything. Um, so yeah, that one clip is rare. That's very but that's very cool. Now, when you go back and watch that clip of you as a six or seven year old playing this um, song that has a bridge and a verse and a chorus and all this stuff on the piano, do you look back on it and go, "Oh wow, I was already onto something"? Or are you like, "Wow, I really needed to learn how to sing"? Like, is it an innate talent that you were able to polish, or are you learned? Honestly, I'm pretty sure I was born with the ability to sing, there and I go. just, because I was so unshy about it, I was able to develop my voice so much, um, so quickly. Yeah. I can't remember a very long time in my life ever where I wasn't singing. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the only time, which uh, is kind of one of my favorite stories to tell, was in sixth grade, I had auditioned for the school choir. Mm-hmm. This is right around the time when I started getting bullied, too. Mm-hmm. And I was in the choir for a good month before the choir teacher kicked me out because he said I couldn't sing on key. And wow. he just didn't think he didn't want to put the time in to like helping me get better at all. He just kicked me out. <laughs> How did he? Why? Wrecked I don't me. I don't even think that was like allowed. Right. <laughs> but I guess it is. Right. Yeah, I didn't. I kind of lost it for a bit, the like love and passion for singing. But I remember having a really, really rough day one day and just kind of locking myself in my room and writing like the saddest, simplest, most poorly written song ever. Yeah. And from that day on, I realized how lethargic and therapeutic it is to to just write out exactly how you feel in a moment. And it's um, one of the steps to releasing that baggage and releasing how you feel in that moment. And I was addicted. Right. Writing songs that made me feel like a, a bad bitch or a, hard, a song that was super hard or a song that consoled me. Just like, it's just like euphoria and high that I... I haven't seen dissipate yet. Something that I've noticed about people that write overwhelmingly sort of morose tunes or things that are really, you know, contemplating and pontificating on the sadder parts of life, they're generally happy people. Would you say that you're like a generally happy person and that you kind of like let it out while you're writing? Or at least that you put up the facade? Generally, generally yes. Yeah. I definitely don't put up a facade and... um, I can't lie. Recently, I've been I've been going through it a bit. Really? I've been having some more low days, really? um, mixed with some very high days. Yeah. But um, for the most part, I haven't had any long depressive episodes in a while now. And for the I'm I would definitely consider myself a generally happy person. Right. Yeah. Here's something that I'm picking up on too. When you're 12, right, and you start kind of getting bullied and noticing that you're different, and you get kicked out of out of choir. Is this when you start to kind of like understand depression and like go, oh, maybe something's wrong with me? Because around that time in my life, that's when I started feeling like, oh, I think I'm sadder than the rest of my peers. Yes. I can definitely pinpoint 12 as being the year that I not only discovered that I was depressed without even necessarily having that word for it, Mm -hmm. but 12 was one of the most miserable years of my life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. My self-esteem was at an all-time low. Were you going through an awkward period or something? Yup. Yeah. Yeah. Yup. Yup. I was pretty misfortunate looking, if I do say so myself. (laughs) You had a little, like, ugly duckling syndrome going on or something? Oh, yeah. I'll show you pictures after. Uh, You don't have to. I believe you. You know. But, yeah. I mean, you came out of it. You You done good. Yeah. Is this where you start kind of, like, going into a goth phase? And how do you discover the goth aesthetic? At that time, I was kind of more into Lana Del Rey and I wanted to try to contrast my sadness with light colors. And like and Americana. Uh, I wouldn't say Americana, but definitely like soft girl vibes. Yeah, right. <laughs> for lack of a better description. And like boho chic or something? <sighs> no. But can we be impressed that I know what boho chic is at least? I am a- impressed <laughs> because... I barely know what boho chic is. It's just a catchphrase that I've learned. Silver Lake Mom, basically? Yeah, Yeah. I think that's boho. Yeah. Yeah, okay, Silver Lake Mom. Yeah, (laughs) right. I probably discovered the more goth 
phase yeah at around 15 after i'd been bullied for years and i was and then you're like paint it black i just hate yes yes yeah. i i hated the world my boyfriend at the time hated the world yeah. we hated ourselves but we loved each other and we were both little dark motherfuckers how long did that last you you two um on and off almost five years. Yeah, right. And now do you look back at it as a good learning experience? Or oh, do you, 100%. Yeah. I learned so much about myself. So, so much about myself. Yeah. Yeah. And where does a young goth woman go to accessorize? Okay, so this is the funny thing. I was definitely a mix of goth and streetwear. Okay. I remember loving Supreme right. and like... Golfwing and yeah, all the skateboarding like companies. Peak, FA, Fairf Peak Fairfax era. Peak yeah. Fairfax era. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's back when like kids could run into Tyler on the block all the time of and he'd be like, What's up? So was he an early influence then? Definitely. Yeah. I had a poster of him on my wall. Yeah. And um wow. yeah. I had a poster of him on my wall, bunch of his merch. Um around the time that I was really obsessed with Tyler was just when I was becoming obsessed with rap in general, yeah, um, which I think holds a lot of roots in my music to this day. Um, I was getting into like Three Six Mafia, like Chief Keef, Gucci Mane, Waka Flocka, like right. Th those people. I was. <laughs> here's here's <laughs> the a thing. Big spread of different people there. But. And this is a, one of the interesting things about you, uh, just about you as a person in general, right? When I listen to your music versus looking at your Instagram and like looking at your personal aesthetic, right? They almost clash to me a little bit or I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't necessarily associate one with the other like that because when I look at your Instagram, I see somebody who would have been, you were probably too young for it, but, but like in 2013, 14, 15, 16, like all the warehouse parties were playing all the music you're talking about. Three Six Mafia, Waka Flocka, Chief oh, Keef, all, yes. like, you know what I mean? This was like the warehouse scene in LA. And that's how all the women were dressing there. It was like this kind of, I don't know, internet goth streetwear shit. You know what I'm saying? Where that plays a little bit with like S&M themes and a little bit with like goth themes and a little bit with streetwear themes and mixes it all together. And then you got people like Too Poor and Wi-Fi's Little Angel and all these folks that are like just there being the scenesters, you know? They were the scenesters yeah. for sure. Yeah. That was like even pre me going to any shows, which is interesting. I'll have to show you pictures just for reference. Yeah. But at the time that I was into all that music yeah. and when I first started making my own music, I was dressing like a different person almost every day. And it was a mix because there was some consistency within like cutesy, Y2K, futuristic, goth streetwear. Yeah. And it was it was actually the way I dressed ended up being like the first thing to get um, a lot of attention on the internet. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it was it was wild. All of a sudden, I went from like being the most bullied kid to being like the most popular kid I knew on the internet. Right. As weird as that. But is. you know, but that's the thing is like kids can see that kind of that thing like oh sh she's independent oh she's got style oh she's talented like we need to put her in her place because we're not that like <laughs> that's that's that group think you know what i mean like it makes sense pack mentality yeah and so after a while of course like you're gonna be the one that blossoms into this star on the internet you know what i mean it only makes sense and so what's that like when you decide to drop out of school and what what do your parents think and and <laughs> your teachers and everybody like as everybody no don't do it Romy, don't do it my mom, due to my mental state at the time, was fully supportive as long as I was still going to get my GED. And 
my dad was definitely not the biggest fan of it. But now I think he's extremely proud of me. Of course. I remember there being a few jokes like, oh, what are you going to do? Drop out like your sister or something? Made made for some very awkward family dinners. Mm. But um, and I, I, And honestly, I can say I know that I get this from him. I will not fail. I have this like drive drive inside me I have since I was very little and I I know I will not fail no matter what it is I do in this world um I overwork myself I cause myself to burn out but well and I'm sure that if you do fail I think the more important thing is like if you do fail it's that willingness to get up and try again definitely like definitely failure is never an ending only a beginning definitely I love that I will not Fail myself is the right thing to say. There you go. Yeah, Yeah, because everybody fails. And if you're not not failing, yeah, if you're not failing, you're not trying anything new. And you've definitely tried a lot of new shit, I'm sure. I have no one specific idea of what success looks like to me because Um. I could just be happy sustaining a music career in which I just, that's all I get to do for the rest of my life. And by whatever means that is, because that's what fills me with joy. But um, I definitely set very high goals and dreams for myself. If that's what I have at any scale, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, of course. And I obviously have huge dreams and I see myself um I see myself currently with no ceiling and I want to keep it that way. Yeah. How long does it take you to get your GED? I got my GED within a year after dropping out. Is it pretty easy or what? I I don't really know. It's so effing easy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's so, really easy. Yeah. And so when you get the GED, are your parents like, okay, we're off your back now? Go get a job or something? Or? Yes. Okay. One hundred percent. I've been paying my phone bill since I was fifteen. Yeah. And that was kind of the first responsibility my dad kind of instilled in me. Um, but at that point, they were like, oh, so this you're practically an adult. You need to pay for your life now, practically. Mm. And um. So I worked a bunch of normal jobs. Like what? Um, I was I was a cashier at a pizza place. Yeah. Then I was an assistant manager at a poke restaurant at sixteen, oh, yeah. where all my elder um, fellow employees just refused to respect me. So that was fun. Mm. <laughs> but um, that was the most experienced. I mean, I'd worked with my parents in catering right for a lot at an early age. And uh, it was only restaurant jobs. Ended with an ice cream an ice cream job at Jenny's Ice Cream on Larchmont was the last job I ever had and the only job I was ever fired from. Why were you fired? Supposedly I had given numerous customers attitude. Wow. But I really only remember one circumstance in which it could have been considered that. It, yeah. During these times when you're working regular jobs, are you then at home recording as well? Or are you going to studios? Like, what are you doing to get these songs off? Um, I was only working with my boyfriend at the time and best friend. He had a little studio set up in his room and most of the time I was over at his house because my dad hated him, hated his guts. And, uh, yeah, we were always recording. It was often him and his friends were recording and I was kind of like waiting. Oh, are they going to want me on this song or yada, yada, yada? Because I wasn't very good at standing up for myself yet at that time. And I wasn't the kind of person to be like, let me throw a verse on this. Like, I got this. Like, I would wait until I was wanted. And that also helped me realize my value because even just amongst my peers, I was becoming more and more wanted. And I started realizing kind of what I could give 
with my voice and my words and my mind. And I had just craved wanting to make music more and more for myself. Right. And I realized without really knowing what to do about it, that I need to find more people I can work with that aren't just these people. Because the hunger is not being satisfied just hunger in wasn't this bedroom. Being, yeah. Nope, it's yeah. not. The circle of friends that you're around with the boyfriend and his dudes, are any of them like talented enough A&Rs to realize like, oh, this is like major label talent right here? None of them were A&Rs. Oh, no, I know that, I know that oh. none of them were A&Rs. But I mean, did any was anybody in that room going like, yo... Maybe we should be giving Romy more mic time because she's, like, better than all of us at this. No? Nope. Nobody was picking up on the talent. No. Mm, you know what? Actually, I'm discrediting my friend Nate. Yeah. Who was actually best friends with my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. And who lived in Arizona, actually, and was always sending me beats. He was always sending me beats. He was like, you would sound good on this. You should get on this. Here, you can just have these, yada, yada. And I didn't really realize... That it was him knowing I was good and wanting to make stuff with me. With you, right. Obviously being very respectful of the fact that I was his friend's girlfriend. Probably wasn't trying to be aggressive right. about it by any means. But, um, yeah, because of a cover of Venus as a Boy by Bjork that I did with my friend Nate, uh-huh. recorded on my iPhone. Wow. Um, is actually why my first manager and marketing people <laughs> found me. Found you. Yeah. Because of a cover that you record on your iPhone. Yep. And see, that's what I'm saying is like this little bootleg thing that you did on an iPhone makes people that are like in the music industry notice you. Meanwhile, you're sitting in the corner while everybody's making music Literally. and nobody's picking up on the fact that like, hey, mate, that's the one that can take mm. us to the promised land. Honestly, I think about it sometimes because as those that relationship got shaky, I lost all of those friends. Those friends were no longer my friends. They all sided with him. Of course. And most of them still make music, and some of them are very talented artists. And, of course, at times I think, oh, I wish we could have all come up together. It would have been cool to come up with other people. Like that would have been your scene. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Ultimately, that would have been awesome. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't feel as though I was kind of coming up alone. But now that I am so lucky to be at this place, yeah. I feel like I can bring people on like who aren't necessarily artists, Music artists. Right. But people on, like, my sister, my friend Maytal, different creatives and photographers and writers. Like, I even co-write with my sister now. Yeah. I don't like writing with almost anybody. That will be dead ass. Right. But um, I have Ella at a lot of my sessions. Because Ella got bars. Like, that's what it really is. Ella really do got bars. Yeah. We wrote the first rap verse that we ever wrote together, which was very interesting to do with Ella. Because she's so, so smart. Yeah. And she doesn't curse. And it made for a very, honestly, like, such a fucking good rap verse. Right. It's so good. No, everyone's going to have to look up most of the words in the verse. After you get noticed by this Bjork cover and now you've got, like, a manager and you've got marketing people you mentioned, I would imagine you get scooped into, like— industry meetings pretty quickly and people are going like oh this is such a pure raw talent i'm sure you have people coming from every angle wanting to say like oh we could mold her into this or mold her into that or she could be this or that and being compared oh this is the next billy eilish mm-hmm. this is the next whatever you have no idea i've read the interviews <laughs> i'm sure every fucking time it comes up they people want to compare you to people that's how we compartmentalize you know music and make it make sense to us when we hear new things so does it feel now that you're still this young woman at 20 years old in the label system, industry system, that you're developing your artistry as an island? Like, do you feel alone in developing your stuff? Being that you're probably around more people that are like 
suits and producers than like other artists who share the same kind of outlook as you? Uh, you just made me want to hit on a bunch of different things. Yeah, so please let's do just it. take it. I'm going to go back a bit. Yeah, go My ahead. first project that I put out with that manager and the help of monsters, is that what it's called? Monsters. Yeah. Okay. Yes. With my first manager and with some help of a, of a marketing of group, yeah. um, 740 Projects. Shout out. <laughs> Hell yeah, still with them. Yeah. But um, there was almost no budget there at all. Right. Um, Which is crazy because it sounds like a big budget project. Thank you. Yeah. It was all one producer. Yeah. All one producer besides one song, which was done by my friend Artemio. But um, that, for somehow... Not somehow. I'm not giving myself the love yeah, I deserve. Please. <laughs> Give yourself credit. That project got the attention of every single label. Of course. I'm I, sure there was a bidding war, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly as everyone would And this hope. was two years ago as an 18-year-old, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The bidding war and like back and forth label meetings lasted kind of until last January when I kind of made up my mind and was kind of waiting to see if anyone else wanted to budge. But, um, you know, I felt very comfortable when I signed to Capital um, because I felt I had a vision that was fully supported. I didn't feel that I was necessarily alone, mm -hmm. but what's so awesome and that I still feel I have with my new manager, with everyone I'm working with right now, mm -hmm. I feel alone and supported. Yeah. And everyone... I'm definitely not alone. I have people who help me with visuals, and I have people that I trust to ask opinions about creative stuff. But no one is telling me what to do. That's great. No one is telling me, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. Yeah. I consult when I know there is um, need for other ideas to be shared and heard, which there always is. Right. But I don't feel that any of my ideas are being crushed or that I'm not developing into someone that I wouldn't want to be. Right. Like you said, the only thing I was very lucky that— didn't happen was that and none of the meetings wanted to tell me to not wear my three-line makeup or right. to not dress that way i got very lucky in the sense that no one wanted to make me something i wasn't the alone thing that i was getting at is that i talked to so many artists who are on the independent side of things where it's like their whole support base and their whole development is revolved around oh it's me, it's this other artist I work with, it's this other artist. It's like, it's this all groups of artists who are trying to make it and hopefully bring each other up around each other. That's usually how it is. Right. And so, but I rarely get to talk to people who get scouted by the industry at such a young age, you know what I mean? And I, and I don't know, is it scary to be that young and to be on like the executive floor at Capitol, the most famous building in Hollywood and like talking to these people who just have made stars before, you know, like, is that, is that scary for a young woman? It's terrifying. Yeah. Actually. How did you cope with it? <laughs> I don't think I have. Really? Um, no, it's terrifying and exciting both at the same time. And I think fear is part of what incites my hardworking attitude and um, just the constant, the constant knowledge of how hard I need to work if I want all of these people to uh, continue supporting me mm. and years down the line not regret investing in me. Mm -hmm. Because obviously uh, you never know with artists. You never know if this person hasn't had a number one song yet or isn't insanely Instagram famous in these day and age if their music will catch on mm -hmm. and 
that's all terrifying to me because obviously that comes with my own personal success and my own ideas of what will make me feel successful at the end of the day. Right. But I feed off fear. Do you? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Do you feel like a commodity sometimes as though like, okay, I have to make this song that's going to perform well, or are you able to shake that off and just go, I just need to be myself because being myself is what is going to like bring the success. That's how I feel. Okay. That's how I feel. There's been moments where I questioned that and I compromised my own opinions due to what other voices around me were telling me I should do. And I let that happen once and I have not let that happen again since. And I never will. Good. And um, I make music that I think is great. Yeah. And ultimately... I mean, I got your song stuck in my head. I think your last single is phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, Kiss really Me Goodbye is one. really great. I think I found my nice um, happy medium between pop that sounds like me and... Yeah, pop that sounds like me. Yeah. That I think like, oh, this could be massive, sure. And also not forcing myself to only do that because I'm such a fan of so much different music. I still have very industrial heavy or trap heavy songs and I'm not afraid to continue doing exactly what I want because ultimately, ultimately if I think it's great, someone else is going to think it's great. Yeah, totally. Right. Earlier you asked, we were kind of talking about like me coming up alone. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, you had asked if there was like other artists around me and though there's not any other people I know who are trying to be solo projects per se. And I definitely know some people, but they're not in my direct circle. Right. And, um, you did kind of have me thinking another crazy, scary thing is of course, at this point I've made friends with some of my producers or so I think they're my friends. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it's kind of scary when it comes down to like numbers and you're realizing like, oh, wow, I thought we were friends. This is actually going to make things really hard on me if you don't actually treat me like a friend, like right. I treat you. And I know that this whole game is numbers and politics and things. And at the end of the day, that's a bit soul crushing. Yeah. It's a bit soul crushing. Particularly because you're having to open up in these sessions and be so vulnerable. So vulnerable. Yeah. And so when you leave, there's this feeling of intimacy. And I mean, I, I experience that in this often when I just do podcasts with people, Definitely. like there'll be times where guests and I cry together and then I never see them again. And that's it. And yeah. it's, just, it's just like, that's kind of part of the industry is like vulnerability and intimacy in short bursts. And then, yeah. How do you, how do you manage those relationships afterwards? There interesting because only very recently did I realize you can wholeheartedly believe something is one thing and it can be another. Mm -hmm. And I've always known that, but I didn't really consider that in terms of, um, the mix between business and personal affairs. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously the two get entangled often, but, um, I don't know. It's weird. It's it's a weird, scary world to navigate because I definitely feel I have a lot of incredible producers right now who all really want to see me win, really believe in me, really feed off of what I give them, and ergo, I feed off of them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the people I'm working with currently all fully understand my sound, and all the people I'm working with currently, honestly, I'm working with three people right now, mm-hmm. for the most part, five at most, and... I hope to keep working with them, but ultimately, and I've expressed this to some of them too, ultimately I hope one day that I actually have my team of like say three or four people who are going to 
who are going to roll with the punches and actually be my ride-or-die team, um, who are going to step aside when, say, someone else has something better to add to a song than another person, and egos won't be a, a mishmash yeah. thing that's involved with, like, this producer versus this producer, this producer versus right. this one. This one thinks they could have done that song better, and it's like, <sighs> I long... For the music to become a bit more familial in terms of the dynamic. Yeah. Because that is just who I am as a person. And I I just think that's what this industry lacks for the most part. And I feel like perhaps that's why a lot of artists get burnt out or drained emotionally. Yeah. Because they, are, they don't have solid relationships to make such vulnerable pieces of work. Yeah. And you need that to do so. Let me ask you this. You've, for the last five years now, which is, you know, a quarter of your life, been putting all of your energy into making music and making it work. And I think eventually, obviously, it is going to ha- it is going to work because, like, you don't put all this energy out for nothing to happen. You know what I'm saying? What other things do you do to be a quote-unquote normal person? Like, do you have anything that keeps you grounded <laughs> in reality? Any hobbies? Any sort of other interests? Cooking. Yeah, yeah. I like things that are very tactile. Yeah. It gives me time to think and breathe. Yeah. And at times I feel like we don't give ourselves enough time to do those two very important things. Right. Um, Like I mentioned, I'm now really blessed to have a really solid group of friends. So... Just about anything I get to do with them, for the most part, is therapeutic. Brings me back to just not even having to think about work usually. Yeah. I'm very blessed for that. And at the end of the day, I've credited this woman a million times, and I'll credit her a million times more. Um, My mother is my most sturdy rock in this world. Yeah. And um, there's definitely times that I burn myself out to a point in which it's like you— need to relax you need to bring yourself back down to earth and uh give yourself time to breathe and to not just go 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 and um yeah god god bless her right i love her more than anything what do you like to cook what do i like to cook everything I love cooking. I love being in nature. Nature is another hobby I didn't mention. Yeah you love being in nature. Just spent a lot of time in the desert didn't you? Yes. Yeah. I've been I've been in uh, back and forth, I guess, this whole quarantine. Yeah. yeah. What's life like in the desert? What do you go do? It's just so peaceful. Yeah. Where do you go, Joshua Tree or something? Joshua Tree. Yeah. Um, It's just so nice to be surrounded by mostly nothing. Yeah. So good for the mind. So good for the mind. I think um, people like me who were raised in big cities like L.A. Um, are used to to constantly being overstimulated, even in terms of images and things we are in intaking. Just ads everywhere. Ads, billboards. Yeah. Um, every, I mean, everything. Yeah. Constant different changing communities, which is oh so beautiful and diverse, can also be a lot on the brain. Yeah. And intaking so much stuff, just like just the same as like scrolling on your phone through Instagram, mm-hmm. it's not good for you. Mm-mm. Give yourself time to just... Look at your ceiling, mm-hmm. breathe, and sit with yourself and your thoughts and how you're actually feeling. And the desert, being so desolate, allows um, for a lot of that. Yeah, true. Yeah. You take Ella down there with you? Yeah, we, we've gone down there a few times together now. Nice. That sounds lovely. 
Thank you. Yeah, nature is nature is beautiful. It's good to get out. Uh, you know, I like to go camping. I love camping. Yeah, camping I was going to say, fun. have not done that in a long time. You mentioned now that you do have like a friend base that you haven't had before. And so now that things in the music world are really working out for you and picking up, how do you vet your friends so that you know who's really there for you and who is maybe a clinger on and, and how do you recognize that and, and thwart it early? I think it's really easy to tell early based mm. on how, first off, how relationships are found. The only people I consider myself very close friends with, I've known for years mm. and, or I've met through friends that I've known for years. Mm-hmm. And I have a, I have a lot of friends. I can honestly say all of whom mostly don't really aspire to be anything in this industry, which I think helps. Um, I'm not really getting asked for features from my friends or anything or to right. be put on. They don't have any vested interest in your success other than just liking you as a person. Yes. And that is so beautiful. They are so, so supportive. They just want to see me win. And I think ultimately, the, for me personally, not even thinking about all that ulterior motive stuff, the only things I really vet my friends on are whether I can feel extremely fully comfortable in just being the dork I am. Like, am I okay for these people to see me break down. Uh, these people going to understand if I tell them I'm not feeling good. I don't want to, I'm canceling last minute mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And ultimately my friend group's just very understanding, well-rounded dorks. Nice. And uh, yeah, we all have a lot of fun together. Your latest single that we just mentioned, Kiss Me Goodbye. Right? Yes. That's a hit in my eyes. That is a big, big song. You can hear that on the radio, right? Thank you so much. What does a session like that look like? Do you go in prepared with lyrics and an idea ready, or do you hear the music already and then start writing to it? So my sessions all work um, and go a million different directions and ways. Yeah. But with Kiss Me Goodbye specifically, I was just in my room one day, and... That melody with those lyrics for the chorus literally came to me in my head and I was like, that is a strong ass pop melody. I'm going to write this chorus down right now. I'm going to record the melody and I'm going to bring it to my producer like ASAP and I'm going to throw it out there that like we need to make this a song. Yeah. And um, so like I have a note way back in my phone and it was just, and you probably still tell him it's hard. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. I'll sing, I'll sing backups. You want me to, let's do it. <laughs> let's let's do collab. It. No, I'm just kidding. I'm terrible. <laughs> I really can't sing in key. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So Neither you, can I. I mean, that's why I got kicked out of choir. Yeah, sixth grade. <laughs> that was the callback. I was calling it back. <laughs> nice. So you've got this note that has the melody in it. And then what happens? He starts building the beat around it. So I brought the chorus idea to my producer, yeah. Andy, and my friend Jesse, who I write with. I'm like, Jesse, I, I want your help. Uh, what do you, where do you think I should go with the verse? Um, and very naturally, we kind of found a pre first. It was so good. <laughs> the pre was so good. And then the verse just kind of fell into place. Yeah. The whole song was written in probably less than 15 minutes. Wow. That's wild. Honestly, I feel like sometimes the best things are. Yeah, they're really That's the kind of thing where I like to go be like, oh, yeah, I just went in made it in 30 minutes. Because like, that is just not the case all the time. It's not the case most of the time. Yeah. But with this song, it really was the case. Yeah. It was just so quick. It was very meant to be, one could say. Right. It's when you just tap into that spirit, whatever that is. <laughs> whatever you know? that is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
And um, so I lay down a scratch vocal so that they could build the beat kind of around my vocal. The producer kind of forgot about the song. Uh. And um, by no fault, I had a million other great songs I was working on with Andy at the time. And I couldn't stop thinking about the song. So I went to another two producers that I was working with, and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Andy if he's all right with you guys um, taking over, starting to work on this from scratch. Andy's coolest guy ever. So he was like, yeah. For sure, do it. Like we already have a bunch of great songs. Yeah. And um that's God bless Andy. That's yeah. why I want all my people in my circle there like you Andy. Go. Yeah. And um <laughs> and so I brought it to Cronkite and Adam Bukis. Okay. Uh they're a duo that I work with a lot. And they I recut the vocals at their studio. We reproduced it out in a day and it took a lot of back and forths after we had like a rough, but it was just so perfect. It uh, was it was a, worth every different phase that it took to get that song to where it was. Yeah. What was the response like? The response is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. The people who love it, love it. You yeah. know, I, in my heart of hearts, wish that it made it to the radio, of yeah, course. Right. But um, we're not there yet. We're getting there. I think it's inevitable. Thank you. You're still very early on your journey. Thank you. And the song's already... You know, it's like I think that you have a a warehouse aesthetic and a stadium sound. You know what Thank I mean? You. And so it's gonna take it's just gonna take everybody else a little while to catch up to it, and that's it. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I also think that's a really cool and valid way to describe uh, it. You can use that on your one sheet. I'll just charge you a one time creative fee. It'll only cool. be a few dollars. I have like three, so I'll give you those. I'll take them. Cool. Uh, anything I can get. Um, <laughs> after the music inevitably takes you to the moon. What else could you see doing? Like, what do you want to do with your notoriety beyond Uh, the music? One thing that is a goal of goals of mine, selfishly, is to own a farm. Wow. That is also a farm-to-table restaurant. Yeah. Because I love food. That's tight. I think that would be beautiful. Um, Ella will handle the vegan uh, menu. Ella can take the photos for the website. <laughs> We're not going to have vegan food. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, we'll have a special vegan menu for mm. guests like Ella, and of we won't course. advertise it, but it'll be there. Yeah. So they'll be it's impressed like the upon arrival. Menu. Yeah. But, What's, uh, what state do you see this farm being in? Uh, Hawaii. In 100%, Hawaii? 100% Hawaii. Wow. And I also would like to reopen Pacific Quest, which is a program, horticultural therapy program on a farm in Hawaii for yeah. teens like me who uh, either suffer with drug abuse, family abuse-related traumas, sexual abuse-related traumas, mental health disorders. That's just something I'm very, very passionate about oh, wow. and that I talk about a lot. And I was really sad to hear from one of the kids that I had gone to that program with recently that they didn't have funds to continue running. And that broke my heart because I don't think there's enough programs like that for kids at all because that general therapy just doesn't work for everyone as important and incredible as therapy is it just does not work for everyone sure there's no um one way right. and yes i would love to just put a ton of money when into... did you go to pacific quest why didn't you tell me this story it sounds so when intriguing. i was 16 what is this i've never even heard of it pacific quest is what's called a horticultural therapy, therapy. program yeah so you go and farm Yep. Yeah. Farm all day, every day. You leave your phone at home. You don't, you can write back to your parents and they can write to you. 
But for the most part, you are learning, well, in my opinion, and from my own experience with just depression, Mm -hmm. it was what I needed to gain an appreciation for life Mm. in its simplest form. And being outside all day, every day, going to sleep with the sun, rising with the sun, living so simply became so beautiful that I realized how beautiful it is just to be alive. Mm Mm-hmm. What island is that on? It is on the big island. Yeah, yep. wow. And how long were you there? About three months. Yeah. Yep. You're really having like depressive episodes back then beyond even what I was picking up from earlier in the conversation. And so who finds out about Pacific Quest? Your, your parents or my you? My mom did. Yeah. My mom did. And she advocated really heavily um, for my dad to send me there because she really believed in it. Yeah. She really believed in it. And she was she was right. Ultimately, I think my dad was a bit skeptical, understandably so, too. And my mom really fought for them to send me there. Wow. And uh, I needed it. Yeah. And when you get back, do you have a clearer vision on life afterwards? I did not have a clear vision on life or what I wanted to do exactly, but I had a newfound view of life and appreciation for my life. That's amazing. Definitely. I hope that with the inevitable fame comes the inevitable money to be able to do that and help other kids. That'd be Thank you. that'd be wonderful. I'm glad that you have such a clear vision of what you'd like to do with your future. That's fantastic. <laughs> Many people are not, not not so blessed, you know. Yes. So I'm sure that the pandemic has put a hold on a lot of plans that you guys had for this year, but I'm sure that you guys have plans coming up. So can you speak on any of them or, or do you want to like touch on what you're working on or anything like that before we get out of here? Totally. Um, I have been personally Mm -hmm. working on world building. Um, we've seen all the greats in my opinion. That's what they do. They create a world. They create something that takes their fans out of reality and fully grabs them and fills them with uh, the visions we have in our minds. Right. And with the past two rollouts, um, For Kiss Me Goodbye, and I'm calling it a past rollout as if this next song hasn't even come out yet. Right. <laughs> but the the creative is fully complete. Yeah. And with this next song and every song and project that's to come after, I want to engulf my fans in a world. Yeah, so I'm still working on the rollout for this next song, Fiending for a Lover, which I recently announced. Yeah. And we made a great video for it. Definitely my best video yet. Had Amazing. a really incredible team. Yeah. And um, on to the next. Always yeah. working on music. Always yeah. working on music. You yeah. can guarantee whether... How many days a week would you say on average? Before quarantine, five to six days a week. Holy shit. Every single day I'm in the studio. Yeah. Um, Keeps me sane, gives me purpose structure and yeah, purpose structure, yeah. and uh yeah treat it like a job a lot of free therapy sessions yeah. just pay for the ubers you know <laughs> right, right. um yeah always working on music now probably like two to three times a week that's still that's quarantine. still a pretty good chunk of time yeah yeah got to really really develop this next project i'm so incredibly proud of it well, i look forward to hearing it yeah. yeah, and I'm sure all of your fans do as well. Thank you. And uh, for all of your new fans that are that are tuning and listening right now, please tell them where to find you online. I go by Death by Romy. You can find me on Instagram, all the DSPs, yeah. big love on SoundCloud, big love to all of the DSPs. I don't know why I just said SoundCloud. Yeah. But um, you can find me everywhere. 
the Ustream music. Very you can easily find me Googleable. On death, Twitter. Yeah, Death by Romy. It's spelled just like it sounds R O M Y at the end. You can find her everywhere. Very, you can even find me on TikTok if you do that. Are you a TikToker? I. You're the right age to do it. See, I don't understand this it. This is what JJ was telling me. Yeah. I do not get it, do not get it, do not get it yeah. at all. Yeah. But. It's breaking artists nowadays. It is. It is the largest social media platform in the entire world. But it all, and I'm trying. Yeah. It, but it seems like the artists aren't really on there. It's just like people pick up on their songs on there. That's that's my conflicting inner battle. Yeah. Because I had a song do really great on TikTok. Right. And obviously hope many more of my songs do really great sure. on TikTok. And um. I'm just trying to find my place right. in the world with these cool internet kids. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends do it, and they're great at it. Yeah. And I just... Right. Romy, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you perform in a, mo- in a moment here. I wish you the best of luck, and I'm sure that, like I said, the accolades are inevitable because you're very talented. So, appreciate it. That said, my name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me online at It's Intuition. You can follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat on Instagram in particular. People, I slept on the Instagram for too long. I didn't make one until 2016 or something. And so now I need to get my Instagram bars up. So go follow me on Instagram at Kinda Neat. YouTube.com slash Kinda Neat where you are going to see Death by Romy perform. What song are you going to perform? I'll be performing my new single, Fiending for a Lover. Go to YouTube.com slash Kinda Neat where you're going to see Death by Romy perform. And that said, that was Romy. I'm Lee. And this was Kinda Neat. Kinda Neat.